Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When they went ashore, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give thanks to God for his word this morning. Father, we do give you thanks for this word. And we ask that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear hearts to understand and wills to obey, and that we might see Jesus as the bread of life this morning. In his name we pray, amen. Why do you seek Jesus? Why do you want to get to know him? Why do you pursue him and take interest in him? In our text, why are you running after him? Why are you trying to get ahead of him? Why do you seek him? Do you think Jesus is going to make your life easier? Do you think he's going to take away your pain, take away your loneliness? Do you think that he's going to provide for you in certain ways, that he's going to help you to build your business? In our text, that he's going to fill your belly. What do you hunger for? For bread? For money? For significance? Why do you seek Jesus? Well, we're going to try to answer that question in our text this morning through this miracle of G Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. Why is that the case? Why did all four Gospel writers pick this one of all of the miracles of Jesus to include in all of their Gospels? What does it say to us about its importance and how we should understand it? Some of you here have been following after Jesus for a long, long time. You've been running after him. You're eager to get ahead of him. You're excited to know him. And some of you, this is new for you. You're not quite sure why you're seeking after him. You're here this morning, and you do desire to know more of him, but you're not really sure why. Well, this text speaks to all of us, and it shows us what knowing Jesus really looks like. And so in our text, we want to look at three things together this morning. First, we want to look at the challenge of this miracle. Second, the purpose of this miracle. 
And then finally, our participation in this miracle. The challenge, the purpose, and our participation. First, let's think about a few things as it relates to the challenge of understanding this miracle. One challenge for us as moderns is that we hear what's just been read to us and we say, how in the world can this be? How can you feed 5,000 men with five small loaves and two small fish? And so we look at this and we say, we, we can't believe it. This can't be true. This has to be one of those stories that the ancient people believed, but just threw it into their literature without really thinking about it. Well, actually, the problem is far worse than we think. We read that there were 5,000 men fed. That's how ancient people counted, how they did censuses in the ancient world. And so including the women and children, there's probably a minimum of 15,000 people that are fed this day. And we as moderns say that could never happen. We're more sophisticated than our ancient counterparts. Well, don't think that the ancient people were as dumb as maybe we think that they were. They didn't just believe things blindly either. Don't think that they thought that this was easier for them to believe. This miracle was challenging for them to believe as well. And one thing that we have to understand is that all of the four Gospels were written within a generation or two of Christ's life and death. And these Gospels began to be widely circulated, both within uh, Jewish communities, but also within Roman communities. And of these 15,000 people that were fed by Jesus that day, it's safe to assume that many of them read the Gospels or heard the Gospels read to them. And not one person ever came up and said, it didn't happen that way. There's no attestation in any ancient literature to deny that Jesus actually did what we just heard him do. But further, believing that Jesus can feed us on such little is not the hardest thing to believe about Christianity, nor the hardest thing that gets challenged in our text. What's far harder to believe is that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus has come in the flesh, God in the flesh come into the world to save and rescue and redeem his world. That's the challenge of this miracle. People interact with Jesus around this miracle, especially in the Gospel of John, and that's what they deny. They don't say, Jesus, you could never have multiplied bread they say, how can you claim to be sent from God? How can you claim to be the son of God? You see, it's much harder to believe that God has come in the flesh than to believe that Jesus could multiply bread. But that's what this miracle highlights, is that God has come in the flesh. God has come into the world to feed and care and love and provide for his good world. He's come to be with us. Another challenge of this text is that we don't believe that God is a God of abundance. We don't believe that our God is generous. We don't believe that our God has deep and lavish and incredible love for us. Instead, oftentimes, we believe that he's stingy. We believe that he withholds. And friends, you can't read the Bible, and you especially can't read the Gospels and come to this conclusion over and over again, throughout the pages of Scripture, we read of a God who gives food to his people, who blesses his people with deep 
and abundant love. And this miracle highlights for us the abundance of his love for us. He feeds the multitude and they go home with leftovers. There are 12 baskets full. They receive something that they never expected in following Jesus that day. This meal, this gift, this grace. And they go home with so much more leftovers. Friends, our God is a God full of grace. He lavishes us with grace upon grace. But for some of us, that's hard to believe, especially when we're going through difficult and trying situations. A third challenge. As moderns, we don't live out the biblical principle very well of give us this day. Give us today our daily bread. Many of us have enough food in our pantries and in our fridges and in our freezers to last us a month or even longer. We shop at places like HEB where we buy enough groceries for an entire week to feed ourselves and our households. More than that, many of us have saved up enough resources that we could continue to put food on our table even if we stopped working today. Some of us could stop working today and feed our families for our entire lifetime and even feed the next generation after we pass. None of us lives out this principle of give us today our daily bread all that well. Most of us are not in that position. Most of us have saved up enough for the next day, the next week, even the next year. Now that's not necessarily bad. Praise God and thank him that he's blessed you with so much that he's been so abundant in your life to give you so much. Praise him for the gifts that he's given to you and use those resources well. But know this, the people in the text that we just read about aren't like us. They didn't have pantries full of food. Some of them hadn't eaten that day. Some of them didn't know if they were going to eat that day. Many of them would have returned home and have gone to sleep hungry. Many of them were poor and didn't necessarily have food at home. Many of them lived meal by meal, day by day, and so a free meal meant everything to them. Free food spoke to them in a way that it wouldn't speak to many of us. A free meal isn't that big a deal to us, but to them it meant everything. And then there's a fourth challenge that our text highlights, and that's how we tend to look at the world. We tend to work at the world in practical, pragmatic ways. We're just like the disciples. They look out at their world, at this situation, and they say, it's too late. These people need to go home. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. You give them something to eat. You care for them. That's too costly. We couldn't do it. We don't have enough money to do that, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, why don't you go around and see what you do have? And so the disciples go and they find that there is a boy there in the crowd who has brought his lunch from home and he's got five small loaves and two fish. And in the other accounts in John's gospel, the disciples come back saying to Jesus, what is this for so many? What is this going to do with such a large crowd? The disciples and us can tend to look at our world through these pragmatic lenses. We see the world as flat. We see the world as disenchanted. 
We only see what's immediately in front of us. We see the world through reading glasses, as it were. We see what's right in front of us, right there. And friends, we need eyes of faith. We need to begin to see the world through a telescope, that there are realities bigger than what's right in front of us, that there are worlds bigger than what is right in front of us. We need to begin to see the kingdom of God. And by faith, as we look through this lens, through this telescope, we begin to see a God who has made all things and a God who cares for all that he has made. By faith, we come to see that this God has sent his son, his very fullness, his very likeness into the world, and that it's nothing for this God to provide a meal for his people. He's been doing that forever. He's been doing that since the very beginning of his creation. He's always provided food for his people. And looking at the text through this lens, through this telescope, into another world, into the reality of the kingdom of God, brings us to the purpose of this miracle. We learn in the other Gospels that this miracle is set during this time, during the week, during the season of Passover. Passover is a time for God's people to remember, for God's people to celebrate, for God's people even to reenact all that God has done for them in bringing them out of Egypt and bringing them into a new land and forming them as a new people. It's a time to remember their liberty, to remember salvation, to remember freedom, to remember that God fed them for 40 years miraculously in the wilderness and that God continues to feed and provide for his people. And on this Passover week, Jesus graciously and generously provides food for his people. What love, what care. Jesus is saying to us, as it were, friends, as you go and celebrate Passover this week, you need to realize one thing. I'm the new Moses. I'm greater than Moses. I'm your deliverer, your redeemer, your savior. Don't look to other leaders and don't try to make me into the image of those other leaders. Don't try to make me a king just like all these other kings and rulers in your life. Rather, look to me as a different type of leader, as a different type of savior. And also realize that I'm the manna in the wilderness. I'm the true bread that has come down from heaven. I am the bread of life, the only one that can fill you and satisfy you and feed you. Don't look to earthly things to be your satisfaction and your fullness. Look to me. Feed upon me. Only I can save you and only I can satisfy you. And friends, the people in our text didn't get it. They thought that Jesus was providing food for them. They looked at it practically and pragmatically. Hey, with Jesus around, we don't have to cook. We don't have to work. We don't have to be out in the fields every day seeking to grow our crops. We don't have to sweat. We don't have to get our hands dirty. We don't have to toil anymore. Feed us, Jesus. Fill our bellies, Jesus. Give us this free food always. And they miss a point. They miss the purpose of the miracle entirely. The miracle isn't about food. 
it's about God. It's about God coming into the world to redeem his world, to care for his world, to provide for his world. The biblical story begins in a garden with God giving food to the world. The biblical story ends with a wedding feast with God giving food to the world. And throughout the pages of scripture, God is giving food to his people. And that's the point of this miracle. Jesus has come in the flesh for the life of the world, to feed the world, to be the food for the world. And throughout the biblical story, God shows us his love and his care for his world by giving us glimpses of his heart as he feeds us. Throughout the biblical story, God loves his people by providing food for them. Food in the Bible isn't primarily biological. It's not about getting our bellies filled. Food in the Bible is theological. It's about getting our souls filled. And this story is about Jesus, the bread of life, the bread come from heaven into God's world to fill and satisfy and fill his world and fill our souls. That's the purpose of the miracle. That's why it's recorded in all four Gospels. It's about God. It's about God filling us. It's about God feeding us. It's about God being our satisfaction. It's about God coming to us to be intimate and near with us. It's about God's abundant love for us. God always provides for his people precisely what they need. He did it for 40 years in the wilderness, giving them the manna that they needed. And now God gives to his people precisely what they need, something more than manna, something more than bread, something more than food. God gives to his people his very life. He gives himself. He gives his son. Friends, food and intimacy always go together. You and I know this. When we want to try to get to know somebody, what do we do? We say, let's go share a meal together. Let's have some dessert together. Let's have a drink together. Let's sit down. Let's slow down. Let's look into each other's eyes. Let's listen to each other. Let's hear each other. Let's hear about our fears and our hopes and our dreams and our desires. You and I know this. Last week was Valentine's. And what happened on Valentine's Day was people all across the country got together to share meals together, to get to know each other better. This miracle is a Valentine's meal. This miracle is a Valentine's story. It's a meal where God is saying to us, as it were, I'm here for you. I've come for you. I love you. I care for you. I'm here to provide all your needs, physical, spiritual, relational, emotional. I'm here for you. I'm your Valentine. And the sad thing about this miracle is that the people wanted food. They wanted food more than they wanted Jesus. They wanted the gift more than they wanted the giver. They cared more about their bellies being full than Jesus' beautiful offer to be their valentine. And as the gospels unfold, the reality of God's valentine love for us in Jesus climaxes in his death and in his resurrection. He goes to the cross to show us how much he loves us, to show us how much he cares for us, to show us why he came into the world in the first place, not to give us food, not to fill our bellies, but to go to the cross for us, 
to fill our souls, to give his very life for us. And he raises from the dead to prove to us that he's greater than the sting of death. He's greater than the famine of death. And he tells his people to remember his death and resurrection. And how do we remember his death and resurrection? It's in a meal. It goes by many names. The Lord's Supper, Eucharist, Santa Cena, Agape Feast, Mass. This meal is about intimacy. It's about how we come to know God. It's about how we enter into relationship with God. It's about knowing how much God loves us and cares for us, how much God is committed to providing for us. It's about how God has come into the world to make us his valentine. Friends, that's a real miracle. That the God who made heaven and earth, that the God who sustains all that he has made, that the God who cares for all that he has made, the God who made all things out of nothing, that this God cares for us, that this God loves us, that this God feeds us, that this God is with us, that this God has sent his son, Jesus, to feed us, to fill us, to satisfy us. That's what's hard to believe. That's what takes faith, and that's the purpose of this miracle, that we might come to put our faith in Jesus and have our souls filled more than getting our bellies filled. So we've looked at the challenge of this miracle. We've looked at the purpose of this miracle. And finally, let's look at our participation in this miracle. Jesus tells us something strange in the Gospels. He says that you and I as his people will do greater things on the earth than he ever did. Well, how in the world can this be? You've never fed 5,000 people. I've never fed 5,000 people. How in the world does this happen? What in the world does this mean? How is it possible? Well, we must understand the flow of biblical history. The biblical story is this. God in his great love created the world. God in his great love gave gifts to the world. He gave food to the world. And when people sinned and rebelled against him, against him and his love and his mercy and his grace, he didn't abandon them. He continued to provide man in the wilderness, feasts in the temple, celebrations like Passover to remember his love. And then in the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world. And the son is the fullness of God. It's, he's the embodiment of his life. And what all the miracles of Jesus attest to is this. God is a God of abundance. God is a God of love. And Jesus came into the world to show us the bounty of God's love for his creation. And then after Jesus' resurrection, he sent the Spirit. And the Spirit gives life to the people of God. The Spirit sends the people of God out into his good world to love and care and serve and feed others in his name. So this is the flow of the biblical story. God sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit sends his people. And in the power of the Spirit, God's people have fed far more people than Jesus ever did in his lifetime. In the power of the Spirit, God's people have cared for people in their need, in their hunger, in their loneliness, in their shame, far more than Jesus ever did. That's how God's people do greater things than Jesus ever did. We continue his story. 
by faith we feed others in his name, even as he continually feeds us and cares for us and nourishes us. And he sends us out in mission to embody this story, to embody this love in small but real ways. And this text illustrates this principle for us perfectly. Jesus says to his disciples, you do it. You give them something to eat. And they come back and they say, Jesus, all we have are five small loaves and two little fish. And Jesus says, I can use that. I can do that. I can do something with that. If that's all you have, that's great. That's all I need. And notice, Jesus doesn't call food into existence. Rather, Jesus takes a gift that is brought to him from this small boy, and he does something beautiful with it. And friends, the Christian story isn't, well, God can't use me until I am enough or until I have enough. Many of us think that way, and if that's the way that we think, it's wrong. That's not the Christian story. The Christian story is God will only use me when I know that I am not enough and when I know that I do not have enough. What is this boy's lunch? It's nothing. It's nothing compared to the need. Looking at it from the human perspective, how in the world will this little teeny tiny lunch feed all these people? It won't. But what is this boy's lunch? It's everything. In the hands of God, it's everything. It's all that Jesus needs to feed these people. Christ takes this gift, what this little boy offers up. He gives everything that he has. And Christ takes it, blesses it, gives thanks for it, and then distributes it freely and widely. And that's a picture of faith. That's a picture of the entire Christian life. We take the gifts that God has given to us. And by faith, with thanksgiving, we redistribute them widely and freely to others. Some of you have the gift of encouragement. But you say, my, my gift of encouragement, it's, it's only five small loaves and two little fish compared to other people who are so much better encouragers. What, what is that? How could I ever encourage somebody with such a small gift that I have? Some of you have the gift of hospitality. But you say, what is my five small loaves and two fish compared to other people I know who practice hospitality so much better than I do? Some of you have the gift of generosity, but you say, what are my small loaves and my small fish compared to what others are able to do? My job, my salary, my circumstances, my debt, my obligation keeps me from being able to give more. It's okay. The biblical principle is give back what you have already received. Redistribute generously and freely and broadly and widely the gifts that God has entrusted to you. The issue isn't what you have. The issue is thanksgiving. It's receiving what God has given to you with thanksgiving and then giving it back to others, sharing it generously with others. So how's God fed you? How's God cared for you? How's he provided for you? Take what he's given to you. Receive what he's given to you with thanksgiving and turn around and share it with others. So here's a few ways that we might be able to do it in light of this text. Number one, we all have five loaves and two fishes. 
we all have gifts that have been given to us that we can pass along to others. My five and two are different than your five and two. But use your five and two to feed others just as I'm seeking to use my five and two to feed others. Distribute your five and two widely and freely and generously. We can all do this in small but real ways. We can all share something that we've received from others. Maybe it's a meal. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's a bed in our home. Maybe it's a gift. Some of us are sharing meals by feeding the homeless, the hungry, the immigrants in our city. Keep it up. Keep sharing your five and two in Jesus' name. Some of us are opening our homes to foster kids. Some of us have even adopted children and have committed to feeding them over the long haul. Keep it up. Keep sharing your five and two in Jesus' name. The issue isn't what your five and two is. The issue isn't how big your five and two is. The issue is that you, just like this boy, have five and two. You have something that you can share. You have something that you can give. So share it freely. Share it joyfully. Share it generously in Jesus' name. Number two, God uses our thanksgiving, not our grumbling. God uses our thanksgiving, but not our grumbling. The problem of the people of God in the wilderness as they wandered for those 40 years after receiving the miracle of manna is that they grumbled. They complained. They refused to be thankful, and therefore, God judged them, and that first generation didn't enter into the full promises of God. Grumbling always keeps us far from God. We can't know God with a heart that grumbles. But thanksgiving draws us near to God. So be thankful. Be thankful for what God has given to you. A heart of thanksgiving never looks at somebody else's five and two and has envy over that or covets that or is jealous of it. A heart of thanksgiving rather receives the five and two that has been given to you and is grateful, is humble, is joyful. Even if what's being given to you right now is a little bit hard to receive. Number three, develop eyes of faith. The disciples were looking at this situation from the human perspective. They were overwhelmed by the number of hungry people that were in front of them. They were overwhelmed by the cost of feeding these people. They were looking at this situation sociologically and economically rather than theologically. Theologically, they had everything they needed, and so do you and I. They had the Son of God with them. Friends, Jesus is always what we need. Jesus is always sufficient for what we need. Jesus is always the answer to our needs. And Jesus has promised to always be with us, even to the end of the ages. So as you look out the needs, at the needs in our world, as you look out at the needs in our city, in your neighborhood, in our community, in our schools, don't look at them primarily from a sociological or an economic perspective. If you do, you're going to be overwhelmed because there is too much need. There's too much poverty. There's too much crime. There's too much injustice in our world. There are too many widows, too many orphans. There are too many evil things that happen to people and evil people that do those things. There are too many evil institutions that protect and harbor those evil people. Don't look at our world in that way. It's too much. Rather, look at our world theologically. Look at it through the eyes of faith. 
five and two in the hands of God is plenty. Five and two for the God who made all things of nothing is sufficient. God can take your five and two and he can care for the orphans. He can care for the widows. He can care for the oppressed, the hungry, the needy. And so give your five and two away by faith. Develop eyes of faith. God can do abundantly beyond what you could ask or even imagine with your five and two as you give these to him by faith. He's the God of abundance. He's the living God. He's the living bread. And he can take your gifts of five and two and give life to them. We have a student at Vita House who's one of the directors of a ministry in town called Mission Possible. And for the last 30 years, Mission Possible has been feeding the homeless in our city, caring for the poor in our city. As I've gotten to know this ministry, as I've heard their story, they only have five and two. They've always only had five and two. And as they look back over the last 30 years, they see God's grace and God's abundance and God's goodness to them in taking the five and two that they've received and redistributing it in the joy and in the hope of knowing Jesus and how God has multiplied their five and two beyond ways that they could ever ask or imagine. And friends, the same is true for us. The same is true for this church as this church thinks about ways in which it is going to embody the life of Jesus in this community, you only have five and two. That's okay. That's enough. Take your five and two and give it freely back to others. Give it freely back to those in need. God will multiply your gifts. So as we close, receive Jesus as the bread of life. Why do you seek Jesus? Don't come to him to get your bellies filled. Don't come to him with an agenda. If you do, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Come to him as the son of God. Come to him as the living bread. Come to him as the one who has come from heaven, who you can't control, but who alone can satisfy you. Receive the gifts that he has given to you. Receive even the harder gifts, the harder trials, the harder circumstances that he's given to you and turn around and give them back to a world in his name and say, I'll have this five and two, but I give this five and two in the name of Jesus, knowing that he can multiply these and do far abundantly beyond what I could ask or imagine, beyond what we could ask or imagine as a community. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, we thank you that you have come into the world as the bread of life, as a true bread that has come down from heaven to fill us, to feed us, to satisfy us, to make us the Valentine. Thank you for your deep, deep love. We pray that you, we would receive your gifts, that we'd receive even the harder gifts that we have to struggle with in life, and that we would learn how to give these gifts back to you, giving thanks for them and asking that you would multiply them so that the life of Christ might be made more known in our individual lives and in our city. Use us, use our households, use this church. Help us to be like this little boy 
and give what we have received away to you, knowing that you are the God who multiplies your grace. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.